Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Ta-da! How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. You went out last night? I did. How was that? It was fine. Well, you and I were kind of out all day, and uh, I went out with the same people we were out all day with. Good for you. Um, today is I Love Lucy Day. Oh. October 15th. How do you feel about I Love Lucy? I like Lucille Ball. I mean, I don't feel... I'm probably not going to watch anything Lucy-related today. Did you watch that show as a kid? Yeah, but on reruns on... Uh, what was that network? Well, obviously reruns, but... Well, yeah. What, what was that network called again? Um, the one that shows all of the old movies? Yeah, TV Land or... Something like that. Yeah, because I remember we used to watch that and Green Acres um, and a few other things from my parents' youth. I loved I Love Lucy as a kid. Uh, I didn't get into the show she did later in color. Yeah. Because she was older. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sister and I used to like to watch that movie with her and Ricky and the long trailer. The long, long trailer. Yeah, yeah the long. I, I think that's a, Mine- a Vincent Minnelli movie. With all, and then she was collecting all those rocks. Yes. And it- <laughs> that's a cute show. It is. Um, and I think she's in the original Your, Yours, Mine, and Ours. But I Love Lucy has been on the air since it first aired in 1951. Like, since, since then, some network has been running it in syndication or whatever you call it, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I I like her little uh, brief before you know she became Lucy. The her film noir movies. Yeah, she did a Douglas Sirk that is worth checking out called Leward. And uh, I remember the Dark Corner. That's kind of a B side film noir classic. Uh, and you know I enjoyed Nicole Kidman and being the Ricardos. Sure. And there's that Amazon Prime documentary with her daughter. Yeah. That uh, felt kind of like, I felt like the daughter was the least interesting part. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I didn't like with Lucy is her, is Mame. Because mm. I I just, Rosalind Russell and Auntie Mame is. Yeah, Lucille's is not the better version. Moving on, anytime we have like more than two reviews in a row that are not positive we get all of these comments like do you do do you like any movies every time i watch your videos you're so negative which is not true because if you go on letterboxd yeah because any score of a three and above means it's good yeah so you've given thousands of movies a good score so Mm -hmm. if if so that just doesn't make sense that (laughs) we don't like any movies it's also not my fault that well, that's not how we rate things, but like every other thing I have to give a positive review to. If I'm watching a bunch of shit, it's shit, and I'm going to say it is. So, Oh, and then this also made me want to, or this reminded me that I wanted to, one of the videos we reviewed, When Evil Lurks, uh-huh. which um, was universally praised. Yes. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, the last time I checked, which was when I entered my pull quote, I was the only person oh. who gave it a rotten yeah, I don't like that movie. And you also did. I don't think you've put your review in yet. But so I got all of these messages, which I, so I had to turn off the comments on that video. Really? And then, of course, people add comments to other videos uh-huh. saying, why did you turn off the comments? So then I just blocked them. But uh, 
that is not a good movie to me i don't know. i didn't like that movie sorry but <sighs> i but it made me want to remind people that i don't pay to watch these movies uh-huh. the people in charge of distributing distributing and marketing these movies send multiple emails asking for them to be reviewed uh-huh. which means someone asked you to talk about it uh-huh I didn't just take my little money and go to the theater and pay to then talk shit about a movie. Someone asked multiple times sometimes uh-huh. if you would watch a movie to talk about it. So they already know what's up. And if they don't, then they're bad at their job. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you would ask someone like me to re- review your shitty movie and think that I'm going to say it's good. Well, So it- that's their fault. Like if you didn't do your research and realize that I'm not going to sugarcoat something because I'm so excited to get a free screening. Bitch, I don't need anyone's free movie. I can afford to pay to go see my own movie. But see, this is what <laughs> what this is what uh, one of the many problems with our culture is. Just, I don't have to jump on the same goddamn bandwagon just because everybody else is on it. I didn't like it. I genuinely didn't like it, and that is that. And it, it is okay not to like things. But even the some of the screenings I go to, or well, all of the screenings, there's always someone talking like they're just happy to be there, yes. and they just want to say something to try to lick someone's ass, like. Not for that. Uh-huh. I mean, you know. See, I, I think that's a psychological. I would effect. need a little bit more to act like that. That, that I think there's a, a strange cycle. Not strange. It's a pretty normal psychological effect that when you are given free access to something or are being treated like you're special in some certain way, uh, I notice a lot of critics. I, I, I think that keys them into automatically giving something a higher score because they've been treated in a special way about it. If Singapore Airlines wants to start sponsoring us and giving us business class flights around the world, I would certainly try my darndest to never speak poorly about Singapore Airlines. But like a free shitty movie that's going to be on streaming like the next week anyway, I'm just going to... Also, it's a reaction because sometimes people want to analyze like... Yeah, sometimes context is important or maybe always, but a lot of times it's just like I watched this movie, an hour later I'm talking about it. That's how I felt. Not unlike when you go to a theater and pay to go see a movie. You're not like people get so mad like you should have done your research, you shouldn't talk about a movie if you don't know that that, that doesn't make any research sense. Research about what? A zombie movie? Right. Or or any movie where it's like you don't even know about Pinochet and it's like, well, that is not the filmmaker's responsibility to tell me a story like why do I have to do all this homework to enjoy a film? I'm like, going to tell you right now, El Conda, most a majority of Netflix users that watch that movie don't know who uh, Pinochet is. And I actually liked El Conde for the most part. But anyway. Um, the, and can I double down on in when, when, when evil lurks? Uh, where The women characters in that are terribly written. And special per- effect, like and the performed. green screen work is ridiculous. It's shot like a full-on comedy with no jokes like i'm confused at how people think this is like a cinematic masterpiece there are a couple of violent scenes that are surprising and that's it but the gag is people don't think it's perfect because people will say like you're an asshole did you did we even watch the movie i loved it yeah one two three four five things weren't great but it was still wait what okay so people do this all the time they get mad that you didn't like a movie they liked even though they'll concede that there were multiple major things that didn't make sense i'm gonna invite you to not follow me not subscribe and not pay any attention to me because (laughs) well i would invite people to remember that you can really like something that isn't 
of the best quality. That's true. And I too. always say this about me going to McDonald's. I do not think a McDonald's cheeseburger is the best cheeseburger I can I have access to. But I like them sometimes. It's okay. It's okay to like something that other people don't. In fact, it feels good to be comfortable enough to not care what people think about things that you like. I think people are insecure and that's why they lash out. Like like they want to be validated that they like something. So hearing someone not like it upsets them. Well, it's like you have to gauge I'm not I'm not a flavor for everybody. I don't need to be and I, you don't need I don't need you to like me. And it's okay not to just as much as I keep saying forever and ever it's okay not to like things. It's okay not to like me. <laughs> it I, it doesn't bother me. Well, moving on to something more positive. Madonna uh, opening night of her celebration tour was last night in London. Uh-huh. And I looked at some videos. You saw some too. Yeah. I thought she looked nice. She looks nice. And the production looked, I mean, what I would expect from her, which is a higher quality production with a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope that she makes it through all the dates. And I hope that, yeah, because one of her uh, costume changes, she's like showing her legs and I can see that she's wearing like a knee brace. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I hope she doesn't injure herself so that she can't complete the tour. But looking at the set list... You know, I am reminded of um, how much I enjoy her catalog, especially her earlier work. I mean, part of the set list, Nothing Really Matters, Into the Groove, Open Your Heart, Holiday, Live to Tell, Like a Prayer, Living for Love, mm -hmm. <laughs> Erotica, which you know I love. Papa Don't Preach, Justify My Love, Fever, Hung Up, your favorite. Yes. Of course, she does Vogue. Apparently, she does like a mashup with Break My Soul, which, of course, borrowed Vogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on and on and on. Another Day, La Isla Bonita, I Don't Search, I Find, she's doing. Good. That's a good one. Ray of Light, Bedtime Story. Um, And then apparently, she ends with music, which I know you like. I do. Mm hmm and celebration, which I like. And every time I mention celebration, people giggle. Like, do it's people corny. not like that song? It's corny. I like it a lot. I don't think I recognize you with your clothes off. <laughs> laugh, <laughs> insert insane laughter. Anyway, I I do enjoy Madonna. Same. And I'm glad that, because that, that Madame X tour was not oh, for me. Oh, God. <laughs> so I'm glad this one's kind of back to what we expect. Moving on. Okay, so then people were messaging us about Jada and Will. Oh, yeah. So we need to talk about that. We can take a few minutes, I guess. <laughs> I, I was all excited to talk about it, but then I don't, I, I don't know that I have a, a firm thought. What do you think? Because you watched snippets from her Today Show interview where she's promoting her book. Hoda Kotb interviewed her. Yes, and then you watched. <laughs> and then what did, what did Jada reveal? that she has been legal well not legally but she's been living a separate life from who we know to be her husband since 2016 so for the past seven years they've lived separate lives they are effectively divorced but not on paper which isn't to me is not the most bizarre thing especially amongst celebrities like when we first talked about it i referenced that ronan versus pharaoh like me and Farrah and Woody Allen did not have a traditional relationship in the way that everybody else thinks relationships work anyway. <laughs> like just meeting up at the summer cabin once a week. <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't surprise me, but I think the weirdness of it is like there have been in those seven years, all of these public appearances where they are giving the exact opposite impression. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, I think because so many gay relationships are not traditional and I'm very accustomed to people not being like sort of the standard version of a married couple. Mm -hmm. I think what makes them so odd is that they have perpetuated this um, image for uh -huh. years, well, it's like, knowing that they were not together. I, the Oscar slap, the, the the Oscar appearance isn't so weird to me, uh, them appearing together, but it's that entanglement episode from 2020 that's like, why did you all put yourselves through that? You didn't need to do that. Yeah, knowing this, it's like, why did you have Whale come on the Red Table Talk looking so dumb? talking about how you are having an affair with another man and he has to sit there and be like, yep, mm -hmm, knowing that you two are not together. Well, and it created a narrative for her that made her look like the bad guy. Like, he And was, then it backfired, yeah. And, and and knowing that he, they're, they're separated at the time that he's allowing himself to come on this show and look this way too. It's like, well, how dumb is that? I don't know. However, she does say, because the full interview is not out yet, I believe the full... Um, today's show interview drops tomorrow, mm -hmm. which I'm sure I'll listen to. But what she does say is that, which did make sense to me, that when they first decided to separate, they didn't know how to handle it. So they just kind of said, well, let's just do business as usual, which does make sense to me. Like, yeah, why, why create all this discord and confusion? The other thing too is like, you know, we only get a very small snippet of their lives. So they make one public appearance every three months. I mean, that's nothing in their world. Right. But to us, it's like, oh, every time I see them, they're together. Well, you only see them once every three months yeah. for a, a four-hour event. So, and I don't think, like, two people who've been together that long who have children and lives and a business and, like, I, I think it seems kind of cool that they can still find a way to interact with each other but it made me think like because the opening of the today show interview they talk about how we all assume that they had this committed relationship nobody assumed that well but i but then it made me think what does committed mean to people because to me like i i feel like committed people can also sort of uh collapse that into monogamous uh-huh and it's like two people can be committed to one another to having a life together to um, supporting one another and still have, you know, lives outside of one another. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting use of that word that they kind of made it seem like they're not committed. I would argue that they are very committed. Yeah, they these are. These two fools have they <laughs> masqueraded like they are a couple for seven years, really only for the benefit of the people. But which, well, but then probably that's the financially too. May, maybe, but then it, it's also funny because it's like, who cares about Will and Jada? That too. Like, no one cares, but, and their image is not like, I mean, well, it's not like Tom Hanks, who everyone sees as like this well, wholesome guy. Well, kind of like black Hollywood royalty, I'm assuming they feel a certain amount of pressure to excel and succeed and not present themselves to be a failure as a, as a couple I, I would imagine i would think after the whole entanglement thing it would have been easier for them but then they probably felt like no because we don't want people to think that was that the was thing. the cause yeah so it's complicated it's none of my business i don't care but Same. i also think so i'm more intrigued by how people are reacting to it um like yeah, who cares about these two people who are already weird? We knew, you can tell from their kids they're fucking weird. Yeah. So it's like these are not. What was that? 
at one point, like Will Smith had made some comment about how his son only had one pair of shoes or something. It's like, no, he does not. They no, he does not. Yeah, their their kids seem weird to me. They seem weird to me. Jada seems weird. Uh, I think, but I mean, that is a, a, of course, they're going to be because they live a life that most of us will. <laughs> that there are all these rumors about them, which I tend to believe rumors like, like where there's smoke, there's fire. Okay, Lindsay. Well. You know, people have been saying that, like, the questioning their sexuality, saying that they're not really together for a long time. And it's like, oh, so that is true. And it's like, it doesn't, people aren't that complex. Like, I mean, <laughs> there aren't that many versions of a life you could live. Like, uh-huh. you know, it it seems like, yeah, they, they're very good at also. They don't owe us anything. They don't owe us anything. They have very different lives. When you have all that money and access, you can create a world for yourself that none of us can relate to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Also, in that interview we watched, uh, it takes place in Baltimore, which is, I guess, Jada's hometown. hometown. And John Waters. Um, although, side note, Jada has a brother named Caleb uh, who uh, I went to high school with, so we would hang out with them uh, mm-hmm. sometimes. But uh, she is from Baltimore, and the interview was conducted there, not unlike when Oprah interviewed Whitney in that empty theater. Uh-huh. But then we see Jada walking around Baltimore, yeah. like in the projects. Yeah. It looked like, 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 like she's running around in these streets. She's still Jada from the block. That I don't like when they do that. Oh, I mean, they got it. No one thinks that Jada Pinkett is walking around the streets of Baltimore, just like, oh, gonna go grab some, some weed grass. And... Like, do you ever run into John Waters, Jada? <laughs> yeah. Um, on your perambulations that was the part that made me roll my eyes the most is her in these streets of baltimore i do think it's funny you had also showed a segment of something all these pundits talking about what a uh not they didn't use the word dumpster fire but whatever her it was three days into her book tour and it's all, already just a mess and it's like actually no she got y'all talking about her shit yeah i would think this is a success <laughs> and it hasn't come out yet yeah her book the- isn't even out yet and it's like gone like her quotes from it have gone viral like you that this is a success i i believe in the in yeah she duped all of y'all but whatever haters gonna hate anyway moving on to the restaurant section so we <laughs> <laughs> is that why you're taking me to out to eat more often lately from material i need more material well you know it comes out of the business account anyway um we uh we we hadn't been to philippe the original in a long time and this is a restaurant like sort of diner near it's downtown but kind of like chinatown it's yeah. across the street from union station in downtown la and they're famous for their french dip sandwiches mm-hmm. and we had you've been once i think yep years and years ago probably like 2015 and i had been more than once um because i had a friend who we went a few times just to have lunch and breakfast but last week we were hungry and it was late like past nine. Uh huh. Yeah, because I wanted to go to Versailles, but they were. Cl- yeah, it was after a movie. We watched uh, the, uh, the holdovers. The holdovers, yeah. And the restaurant we wanted, Versailles, uh, which is Cuban food, had closed. So I was looking up places, and we ended up at Philippe. And first of all, highly recommend Philippe the original. Mm-hmm. The staff was so friendly. That lady was very nice, and they have so much parking. Which for downtown LA, in a clean parking lot, there were no homeless people in it, and or cockroaches or rats. Yeah, it was. I mean, now I have to make sure I keep it on my mind for places to go um, later at night. 
But of course, uh, I got the French dip. You got the lamb dip. Uh-huh. Except you got it on rye bread, I think. No, sourdough. sourdough. You didn't like that. Well, because they didn't have it. It, it was harder to dip because it, it, the sourdough was slices of bread. So the person who assists you uh, kind of makes your food for you as well. In front of you, yeah. So it's all cold stuff. Like you can't get French fries or like hot. Like there are no hot things. So like. I mean, there's soup and like things you can ladle from a, a yeah. pot, but like macaroni and cheese or macaroni salad, potato salad. We got both of those. That potato salad is exactly the kind of potato salad I don't like, where it's like the sweet relish. That relish. Ugh. The only thing that would have been worse is if it had raisins. Ew. But it was still like their potato salads like at the bottom of what I would want. Okay. You liked their macaroni salad. It was okay. I wasn't like, I'm not running out to buy more, but it was fine. I will definitely go back. I will not get the potato salad again. We got a pickled egg. Yeah, I like that. It looked purple, and I did eat it, and it was fine. Pecan mm. pie. You know, pecan pie is, I don't know why people think it's so complicated to make, because it's not. But Well, it the was trick good. is the, the filling has to be creamy and firm. Uh-huh. And sometimes people make it and it's gelatinous and it looks like it's separating. Yeah. I don't like that. Well, that's... I mean, I'll eat it, but I'm not happy That's a it. failure, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, shout out to Philippe the Original. I do like that place. There is something in the Sorry to This Man section. Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain what that is? Cause I oh, uh, our good friend Bill Antonio... Uh, <laughs> Informed me that I've been mispronouncing this surname of Daniel Atoy, the French actor, incorrectly. So, and I've been doing that for years. <laughs> and I said, you know, and, and this goes to anybody. If I'm mispronouncing something, please just let me know. Especially with with names, I'm usually just I, I'm, I'm willingly butchering How people's do you names. Spell that name. I, I think it's A U T E U I L, along those lines. Let, oh, I already know. I would have said Daniel O'Toole. <laughs> Like Peter O'Toole? Well, like O'Toole. Yeah. Like like Daniel O'Toole. I, I know I've been saying the, the, the last name. And you know what? Technically, I know better. But, uh, you know, using whatever part of my brain. If I mispronounce something, feel free to tell me. I probably won't remember. Although someone did tell me. So maybe I should verify this. You know, I always say the story culminates with. Uh-huh. But someone told me that it's not culminates with. It's culminates in. So if you'll notice the past like week or so, I've been saying culminates in. But if there are any um, English majors out there or English teachers, if please let me know if that's not correct. Culminates with. <laughs> culminates in. The story culminates I mean, in. off the top of my head, that sounds right. Culminates but... in does sound better to me than culminates with. So I do appreciate that. But names. Names are tricky. I mean, especially. Well, because I won't remember. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't say that name all the time. But uh, but I do uh, thank you. And <clears throat> that it doesn't bother me to be corrected. Uh, <laughs> as much as. I mean, if I'm right and you're trying to correct me, then no. Shut you down. But. <laughs> well, shout out to Daniel Otoy. Mm-hmm. You've seen him in things. Oh, okay. Let's take a break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
films released we didn't cover. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Yeah. Eras. What is it called? Isn't it Eras? Eras? Oh, I said Eras. <laughs> <laughs> when I tell y'all I couldn't care less about whatever Taylor Swift's doing. <laughs> I'm the same. Joe, Taylor Swift's Joey Arias Tour. Uh, I'll be 45 in like 10 days. Uh-huh. And I think it's weird when like, how old, how old is Taylor Swift? Let me see. She in her like 28 worth, or something. This is worth looking up. How old is Taylor Swift? 33. Oh, damn. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't pay any attention. And Ariana Grande is 30. I don't. All you gay men out there who are obsessed over these children, I'm not. I'm I'm a middle-aged man. Talk mm-hmm. to me about Janet Jackson, Madonna, Vanessa Williams. You were talking about, about Bobby Brown. Oh, actually, Bobby Brown. He deserves more time than Taylor Swift, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was at the gym the other day, and some random young white kid at the gym, who I assumed was not gay, he asked me who Bobby Brown was. Out of the blue? Yes. And at first, I'm like, this is real shady. You pick me to ask me who Bobby Brown is? Like, uh-huh. And then I thought, maybe he's not. Well, then I'm also like, you have like all the information of the world on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. So why are you asking me who Bobby Brown is? I did answer him. I said, do you know who New Edition is? Of course not, but knows Britney. I said, do you know uh, My Prerogative by Britney Spears? Yes. Okay, well, that's a Bobby Brown song. He (laughs) did it first. And then I said, do you know who Whitney Houston is? Yes. Um, He's her ex-husband. And then that was the end of the conversation. And the father of her child that is also dead. Well, that would have been too much. I doubt that he knows that. (laughs) But anyway, Taylor Swift had a tour over the summer who some people said, was better than Beyonce's. <coughs> but, you know, I like to quote Yamanika Saunders, and she had a little cl- a snippet that said, <laughs> she was talking directly to Taylor Swift, like, don't let these crazy white girls convince you that you are better than Beyonce uh-huh. in anything. <laughs> what was that other thing about uh, that little video where she's dancing around? I, I just am not impressed. It, sure, is she a, a talented lyricist? Yeah, I don't know her music. I mean, I mean, I know like two, three songs. She, I, she's talented. I just am not interested. She's in, very successful. Yeah, so you can't take that away from her. But I, I, you, three hours. This this movie's three hours long. Movie. I'm not watching that. I'm watching Beyonce's though. Yeah, we'll see. Because you know, I wasn't about to go to the Renaissance tour and have her have me dressed in like a baked potato. So. Well, <laughs> so we will be attending Beyonce's movie. Next, Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, I w- you know, I think we missed all the screenings, and I didn't ask for a link, but uh, I'm sure you'll see it eventually. This one, The Palm Door at Cannes this year, uh, directed by Justine Trier and a great Sandra Hüller. Uh, I, I think it's a very good film. I really liked it. Um, kind of, it, it's doing a lot of things and becomes a pretty good courtroom drama. But I, I think you would like it. Hmm. The Burial. Uh, this I also saw several months ago, but uh, I think it came out theatrically and it dropped on Amazon this the week. The one with Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah, and Jamie oh. Foxx's performance is uh, good, it, and it's interesting. And if you like Tony, 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 uh, there... It feels good? Yeah. <laughs> is that song in the movie? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones oh. sings it. <laughs> that song's Which, on my gym mix. Yeah, it's a good song. I like Tony, Tony, Tony. Uh, but it's directed by Maggie Betts, and you know... Um, Who's a lot, who's it's her second film, whose first film I, I quite liked, Novitiate. Uh, anyway, that's how. You know, you can also ask me, but before you ask me about Taylor Swift, you can ask me about In Vogue, Mary J. Blige, okay, Tony Braxton. Okay, sure. 
And then, well, because Tony, Tony, Tony made me think of that. Uh, lastly, the mission. I don't know if we'll still watch this because we have a screener, but I quite it looks like interesting. It. It's ve- I think it's a very good conversation piece about this self-propelled missionary who gets himself murdered, <laughs> trying to spread the gospel of Christ to these people that don't want none of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and and I think that happened in 2018. But this that's kid, the fuck around and find out. Yeah, um, this kid got straight up murdered. Uh, but the directors of the documentary are Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. Who I believe previously did Boys State, which I did not see. Projects of interest. Uh, I'm going to mess this up. Misericord. M- Misericord. Uh, you know, I think I've talked about this before because uh, Elaine Giraudy, who directed Stranger by the Lake, which you do like, uh, had announced a new project. But the exciting news about that project is uh, Catherine Fro, who is a French actor I really like. Uh, her and her sister are such weirdos, but uh, she's usually. Uh, excels at, at comedy but uh, i'm excited that's a that's an exciting pairing to me there are gentiles doing something with Uper? we've already talked about this well over a year ago oh. that dario argento was gonna remake some 1940s mexican genre film uh and it was gonna start isabelle Uper, and then we didn't and then we didn't hear anything for months and months. I assumed it was dead, but just very recently this past week, she confirmed that it's happening. Apparently he broke, he broke something and you know, he's old uh, and that had delayed production, but I think it's, I think this spring maybe. So that's exciting to me. The birthday party. Uh, Lea Maisius, uh I think this is, will be her third film project. It's based on a popular French thriller uh, that's being described as like the female version of a history of violence. Uh, no cast attached yet. Her last film was The Five Devils with, with Adele Exarchopoulos, which had ideas I liked. I didn't, I didn't end up caring for that movie, but that has its little fan base. She's also a talented screenwriter who's worked with uh, Celine Siama and Jacques Audiard recently on their project. Oh, and I think she co-scripted Stars at Noon, the Claire Denis film, which I am a fan of. Lastly, Heat Two. Michael Mann is finally he's going to make a sequel to Heat. Uh, it's already he had already written a novel form, which I would be curious to read. But uh, apparently, he wants Adam Driver, who he just worked with in Ferrari. Can I side note Ferrari? I didn't like. I'm tired of the all of these actors using iffy Italian accents, speaking in English, and we're we're in the dead the dead zone of Italy in the fifties would not be speaking English. And they yeah. had the audacity to premiere that to an Italian audience in Venice. Mm. I was notified three minutes ago that in our review for Carrie, mm-hmm. the actor of Tommy was played by William Catt, not Christopher Atkins. I didn't say that. Oh. I said William Catt. Christopher Atkins, I referenced because you talked about the Blue Lagoon. Oh, yeah. I was saying, yeah, that's right. I I was saying that I think William Catt's hair should have been more like Christopher Atkins and not that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Chicken shit uh, job they did on. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I talk about William Catt. I also referenced another movie that he did called House with Kay Lenz. But, But thanks for trying. Thanks for okay. trying to correct me. <laughs> so moving. Oh, also, you mentioned Michael Caine re- announces retirement, and I fully thought he was deceased. No, he's actually <laughs> has a, a surprising amount of output for how old he is. His new movie, I think, just premiered in the UK, the one with Glenda Jackson, who did die earlier this year. Movies watched for fun. 
Black Sunday. I rewatched this. Uh, it's Mario Bava, his breakthrough film, um, but probably my favorite, but particularly the opening. This is a fantastic opening with Barbara Steele as the witch who gets that mask pounded into her head and then two centuries later gets reawakened and tries to take over the body of uh, her distant relative, also played by Barbara Steele. But it's a, it's a morbid little film. It's If, if you like uh, Bava, it's must-see. I don't know how to pronounce this. All I see are letters. Is it Kwaidan? Kwaidan, which I guess is an archaic Japanese word meaning ghost. Um, Masaki Kobayashi. Is that also the title? That's the director. Oh, and then what's Harikiri Human Sea? God, why are you reading out all my notes? Those are the uh, more notable films, I think, that he's directed. Oh. There are three. The, he directed The Human Condition, parts one, two, and it three. It all looked like one thing to be. Well, it's not. Moving on. Well, Why I'm not did... done talking about it. Oh. Uh, but this was nominated for an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, what it was called at the time. Uh, I've only seen this once. I remember I had a movie night for it with a couple friends in circa 2007. It's part of the Criterion Collection. And I, I recall when I watched it the first time that we didn't look up how long it is because it's three hours. Uh, but it, it's basically four different short four different ghost stories in one film and it's at least three of them are good part three drags to me but uh it it's a beautifully shot uh, moody little film but i don't know that i think it's terrifying because it's like even on letterbox it's listed as one of the best rated horror films of all time it's like well sure why did you watch chariots of fire because i've never seen it okay um because this won Best Picture in 1981. This movie was so boring to me. Oh my God. The score is great. I love the score, even though it's used as like a comedic punchline since forever by Vangelis. Mm-hmm. And Ian Holm playing, a, he's playing, he's like, they describe him as, as half Italian and half a, like Arabian or something. Ian Holm, no. Uh, he was Oscar nominated for this. There are so many slow motion shots of these men running that look garish and uncomfortable. Um, this was, of course, Hugh Hudson's breakout film. I think it's for narrative debut, technically. I had to look up what this won against at the Oscars. It's unbelievable. This won against Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. or Reds. It won against Warren Beatty's Reds. But I, I, I can already see those old ass people thinking we don't want to give Warren Beatty. Uh, he won Best Director, but... It seems they get weird when actors that turn directors make it to the Oscars, kind of like they did with Ben Affleck in Argo. Oh. Because that won Best Picture, but they didn't nominate Ben Affleck for Best Director. Very odd. Like, what the... It's this, this just strange and a testament to why are we paying attention to that shit anyway. But I'm sure they thought Spielberg with Raiders was uh, still too... Probably young, and it's a genre film. But the Chariots of Fire... This is one of the most... <laughs> I, I don't know. Like the, the ranks up there with Crash in two thousand five is just this is this was best picture people really. Mm. The spell. I watched this in anticipation of our Carrie review. It's basically a Carrie ripoff starring Lee Grant, who I do love. It's if you like Lee Grant and or telekinetic teens, I would recommend it. Oh, and I forgot to mention Helen Hunt is in it as her other teenage daughter, who's supposedly the pretty oh, you one. I don't like her. Uh, and her sister's trying to kill her and her dad. Good. Uh, it's directed by Lee Phillips, who's the uh, actor turned director. He was in Peyton 
in Peyton Is Place. Is Hunt the lady who I thought looked like a lima bean? Yeah. 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 Well, she's touched her face a bit too much. She should have just stopped. And her about, sister is Bonnie Hunt. About Schmidt. Uh, because of the holdovers, I was curious to revisit. I haven't seen About Schmidt. I remember fondly driving to Duluth, Minnesota with a good friend in high school. And we had a double feature of The Hours and About Schmidt. What a lovely day. Uh, but yeah, I haven't seen that since that day. Uh, Alexander Payne's film with Jack Nicholson. Uh, June Squibb, and of course, a very famous nude scene with Kathy Bates. I forgot all about Dermot Mulroney and his balding mullet uh, and the daughter played by Hope Davis. We watched The Sorrows of Gin. <laughs> this movie was ridiculous. Yeah, so I haven't seen it. Okay, so there were, it's a, it's part of a television miniseries called Three by Cheever, the, the author John Cheever, and two of those featured Sigourney Weaver. And in this one, she's a lead. And this is 1978, I believe. So before Alien. Um, and she's married to Edward Herman, who is, she's way too beautiful to be married to. Uh, and it's about an hour long. And it stars the little girl who played Christina Crawford in Mommy Dearest. This story is about this married couple. They're clearly like upper middle class. Uh, they have this young daughter who you mentioned. And Sigourney's character is like a stay-at-home wife who can't take care of her own kids so she has to have a nanny slash like housekeeper slash cook yes and they keep running through them like dirty draws the first one is eileen heckert who's an oscar winner for butterflies are free and also a great drunk in the bad seed but that first nanny we see that older lady she is a twin this story is so out of i would highly recommend people watch this it mm-hmm. is so out of control <laughs> but the first uh, housekeeper, she is a twin, and she's like the bad twin, yeah, like, like a total derelict. So, at one point, she tells the little girl, "Don't let your dad drink gin." Well, because that's all they they swill gin every night. So, a- any chance you get, pour out his gin. Mm-hmm. So she's so the old lady gets fired because she ends up like taking the day off to go get drunk so she gets fired then another lady shows up and the little girl dumps the gin while that lady's there like on her first day working so they fire her no she quits that's the black lady oh that's the black lady she's like y'all not gonna talk to me like this she's the only one with any sense yeah then the next lady same thing pour the gin out the husband yells at her and this lady goes off that is the australian actress rachel roberts from picnic at hanging rock that's probably the best moment of this (laughs) stupid ass movie um but sigourney like oh my god all of it i would watch it again it's fun you need to watch with a group of people oh yeah it's you will howl uh there's also a very young holland taylor i hated that little girl oh uh, her name is uh mara hobo by the way but oh, she, she was so annoying dumping out all this gin and it, it it's really told through her perspective kind of um sigourney is beautiful the dialogue is bad the dialogue is horrible horrible <laughs> It's painful to sit through, but it was fun. It's fun. Because I was howling at the screen. And now you'll have to watch Oh, Youth and Beauty, which she is also in. Moving on, Five Days, One Summer. This is also Sigourney related. Uh, She had lobbied heavily for this role. She she even flew to meet up with Fred Zinneman, who ended up being his last film somewhere in Europe. Uh, But he he wanted an unknown because it's an incest movie starring Sean Connery, who uh, is 
parading around with his niece, played by Betsy Brantley. Betsy Brantley married Steven Soderbergh in the eighties, and they had a kid together for a while. Anyway, this uh, it's about skiing on the Alps, and there's a sh- it features way too much skiing. Uh, because their guide is a young Lambert Wilson, and he falls in love, or there's a mutual attraction with Betsy Brantley. There's one really odd scene where they find a body that's been uh, frozen <laughs> in the mountainside for like twenty five years, which reminded me of the Andrew Haig film. Uh, 45 years with Charlotte Rampling. It has a surprise ending that you shouldn't ruin. Uh, sure. Because it's kind of fun. I mean, I watched like a third of it, like the end part, and it was fun to figure out the ending. We can, Well, you can say what it is without ruining it. So it, everything culminates in, because this niece, she has two lovers, her uncle, and then this other more appropriate younger man. Yeah. And they go rock climbing together, and we see one of them fall off the cliff and obviously die so then the the end of the film is like seeing which one survived and then you get this super long shot of someone walking towards her and you can't tell who it is until the very end yeah i thought that was super effective it was very effective and it it is very satisfying in a way to see who it is because you're waiting but Uh, in the the fall is an (laughs) interesting You know, the fall looks like they threw a dummy off a real cliff, and it's funny. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting things about it, and you know, they were actually up there doing all this ski. Like it looks authentic, which in, if this were made today, it wouldn't be made that way. But uh, a movie called Outrage. Yeah, I, I just submitted a coverage to you on this uh, review. Also, oh, we'll have a review on our website. But so let's skip that. Directed by Ida Lupino. Something called Topaz. Oh, God. This was uh, one of the few Hitchcock films I haven't seen, 1969. This was so GD boring. It, it It's his longest film. I want to, it's well over two hours. Mm. Oh, God, I hated it. And, you know, part of it, I, I feel bad for complaining about Cary Grant being kind of dull to me in North by Northwest because Frederick Stafford, who's the lead of this, is... I. I I just wanted to erase him from the screen. I was, I was so bored. And then John Forsyth is in it, who you know from, uh, well, he's the voice of Charlie and Charlie's Angels, but he's also in, um, is it is it Dallas? Mm. Or Dynasty? He's in some other huge, uh, iconic uh, television series. But it's even John Forsyth a few times. Frederick to- Stafford? John Forsyth is who oh, I'm John talking about. Forsyth. Frederick Stafford's playing the Frenchman who I'd rather watch. Paint oh, yeah, drive. I recognize John Forsyth. Yeah. Um, what do we know him from? We know him from Dynasty. A Dynasty. Okay, yeah. Anyway, I I really didn't enjoy that. Oh, the, but it, in the end, it, it levens up a little bit by the time we get to some actual talented French actors like uh, Michelle Piccoli and Philippe Noiret. I, I do think both of those people seem to be enjoying themselves, but I did the, not enjoy this film. The Neon Bible. Uh, this is uh, based on one of the two novels of John Kennedy Toole, who you are familiar with, The Confederacy of Dunces, because I read it out loud to you, which is a classique. Uh, the Neon Bible is a much more depressing tale about a young boy on a train who's reminiscing about his life and his kind of fun older aunt, played by uh, Gina Rollins. And this was directed by Terrence Davies in one of the few films I hadn't seen of his. Uh, he died last week. It's interesting. I liked it well enough. It, he considered it a failure, uh, competed in Cannes, but he tweeted it like it needed to be the stepping stone he needed to make the House of Mirth, the 
adaptation of the classic Edith Wharton novel. And yes, The House of Mirth is a much better film. Um, and I haven't watched that in years and years and years. Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde. Uh, directed by David Price, the director of Children of the Corn 2. I don't believe he made another film after this. Uh, I, had, I had brought this up and we found it on YouTube because it's not available to stream. Tim Daly. Tyne's brother. And their unknown sister, Twine. Tim, Tyne, and Twine. The Dailies. Oh, my God. I need to start. I need to add a new section to the podcast of things that made me laugh really hard. Because we watched a movie. And one of the actors, I said, oh, she looks like she could be a Phillips sister. (laughs) And then it took you a while. Like, you didn't say anything for, like, a while. And then you said, oh, her name is Chinese Phillips. It didn't take me a while. I said that. You did say it immediately, like time went by and then you just go, oh, her name's Chinese Phillips. And I thought that was funny. Because it was. But but Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde. So Tim Daly from Wings, (laughs) he plays this scientist who inherits, inherits his uncle's like scientific research journals and discovers like he can make some potion that alters a person's dna so tim drinks this potion and it turns him into a woman and this woman is played by sean young sean young it's it's not good it's worth watching like i would watch i would get on youtube and if you're in if you're interested in feeling like your brain's frying put this shit on it was terrible (laughs) the writing is terrible you uh I mean, it's so problematic in a fun way because it's the early 90s, right? Well, it's funny thinking this came after Ace Ventura where she also had a character with trans, a trans character. She well, and Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was supposed to be in this, yeah. And I and I can see, uh, so the problem with it is you needed a comedic actor yes. in the Tim Daly role. Yep. Tim Daly's very handsome. Yeah. But that's it because it's, I mean, it's just kind of cringy. Very. Whenever Jim, he's on Sean Young. Sean, beautiful. Beautiful, but she's crazy behind the eyes anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of fun watching her. Like, she really does a good job with the role. Uh-huh. But when it's not her on screen, it just feels like, what is happening it's right Dullsville, now? Uh, and Jeremy Piven playing a creep. creep. So I guess that was good casting. But I, w- but, but I would still, it, it's worth watching on YouTube. But the end of it, the end credits, because, oh God, Lisette Anthony is so annoying as Tim Daly's girlfriend, who's super bothered Ugh. to see him wearing a uh, woman's clothing. Uh, but the end credits, they're like, blah, 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 whatever their dumb, dumb character names are. Like, they're expecting a baby. They don't care if it's a boy or girl, as long as it's not both. <laughs> like, like, whoa. <laughs> well. You watched Koyanik. Say it again. Koyanakatsi. Koyanakatsi. Mm-hmm. From Godfrey Reggio. His cot part of the first part of his Katsi trilogy. I watched some of this. It looks like a screensaver. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's I mean, beautiful, to think that like they had to get all this footage and uh edit it together and uh w- w- and have kind of a thematic subtext about how our world is continuing to spin out of control and erode beneath our very eyes uh with a phenomenal score from philip glass as usual but uh it's it's transfixing it's rela- and kind of relaxing i think as well you watched ticks with chinese phillips yeah 
Oh, that's the movie with yeah. Chinese Phillips. Okay. Uh, and Alfonso Ribeiro and Seth Green. Oh, I watched some of that. And uh, uh, Ron Howard's brother. It was... I mean, clearly I didn't finish it. So it's I... not good. A creature feature. I remember the VHS cover and being so thrilled that my dad allowed me to rent this. Uh, but it's dumb. Lastly, Invaders from Mars. A Toby Hooper film I've wanted to watch forever. And finally, uh, I found it streaming somewhere, but starring the wonderful Karen Black and uh, Louise Fletcher. Uh, it's kind of Invasion of the Body snatchers oh, I did watch. Yeah, you watched this with me. Oh, shit. Because, because Karen, uh, Karen Black is the school nurse in this boy's parents. Who's dressed like an executive businesswoman. Yes. She but is. she's like the school nurse. <laughs> but there's, there's like a meteor lands next door to this boy's house and his parents become, uh, clearly they're aliens. Uh, and Louise Fletcher, there's a there's a pretty good scene where she's eating one of the science classes frogs. She's good in every scene. She Her running after like, oh, yeah. she runs after a bus, after a car. They're it's make, all good. They're making Louise Fletcher do all kinds of uh, physical activity in this movie. And this is around the time she did Flowers in the Attic. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Mark Godard died? Yes, I think he was 87. He was from the series Lost in Space. Oh. And of course, Piper Laurie died, which yeah. is so crazy because we did our live review of Carrie yesterday. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we wrapped up the video and got dressed to go to brunch, that's when we learned that Piper died. That she died. So that's crazy. That bummed me out. She was 91? I think 91, yeah. So. Which, um, you know, like I still kick myself. Soon after we had moved to LA, we lived in West Hollywood. And I remember she was doing, a, I think, a book signing or something at the Egyptian. And I, I wish I had gone. I didn't. But. Well, her most iconic role is Kim, the mother and Carrie. Oh, yeah, for sure. And she was nominated for two Academy Awards? Three. Three. I've totally forgot about Children of a Lesser God. but uh, So she was nominated for Carrie, Children of a Lesser God. And The Hustler. And The Hustler. The Hustler's pretty good with Paul Newman. Yep. So. Uh, and we, we, we recently reviewed Return to Oz. Oh, that's right. She's in Return uh -huh. to Oz. She's the nurse? She's the aunt. So she's the aunt. She's the Aunt M character. Oh, wow. Well, let's take another break. The secret movie for today was my choice. And originally I had chosen Friday the 13th part two. And then you changed that because I, well, so I chose it because there's a podcast I sometimes listen to with these two homosexuals talking about film and they reviewed Friday the 13th part two and said it was like the scariest and best of all of the films in that franchise. And one of them gave it four and a half out of five stars. So I was like, I don't even remember watching this movie. I need to watch it. And since it's Halloween time, it would make a good selection. However, at the last minute, after finding out Piper Laurie died, I asked you, has she ever done like a horror film beyond Carrie? And you said you owned the 1977 American supernatural horror film called Ruby. I also own Trauma with Dar the Dario Argento film she did, but that's poo poo. This film's directed by Curtis Harrington. Love Curtis Harrington. What do I know from Curtis Harrington? Um, you know his two Shelley Winters movies. Whatever. 
whoever slew auntie rue auntie rue and my favorite my favorite of all of his films is what's the matter with helen oh yeah uh, with debbie reynolds and shelly winters uh but he was a film critic turned filmmaker uh he was responsible for restoring james whale's classic the old dark house i believe he was I believe Curtis was gay as well, but he in the seventies had a series of very underrated late sixties and seventies um, films like, like low lo-fi genre items. Uh, Night Tide with Dennis Hopper is really good. I like the killing kind with Anne Southern. Um, he did a film about killer bees with Gloria Swanson. I've never seen how awful about Alan, which is a TV film, but that's with Anthony Perkins. Um, and God, something else that's, Oh, games with James Caan, Catherine Ross, and Simone Signore, which he tried. To, he wanted to have Marlena Dietrich, but she wouldn't come out of retirement for that. Uh, but what was I going to say? Uh, oh, this is his penultimate film. So he didn't do another. He did one more film after this. He did uh, Matahari with Sylvia Cristel in 1985, and then that was it. This movie was a hit. It made sixteen million off of a six hundred thousand dollar budget. Uh, this shit was crazy as hell. So the story, Ruby Piper Laurie, she is like this old mob girlfriend who used to be a lounge singer and actor, an actor. And we see that sixteen years prior, her boyfriend Nikki, who's like a mobster, was set up and shot and killed in front of her in 1930s florida in 1930s florida where and we see that ruby is very pregnant in fact after like right as nikki's being shot and killed she delivers a baby so then we flash forward 16 years and we see that ruby now um runs a drive-in movie theater and she employs all of these old ex-mobsters just to keep everyone busy and make Mm -hmm. money and she lives uh, kind of on the grounds of the drive-in with her boyfriend, Vince. Played by Stuart Whitman. Another old egg, ex-mobster named Jackie. Mm-hmm. And her daughter, the one she delivered on that day Nikki died, named Leslie. Mm-hmm. So Vince, the boyfriend, then Jackie, the old mobster, he's in a wheelchair. And we see that he's blind because his eyes have been gouged out. And then Leslie, her daughter, is mute. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's just business as usual at the drive-in when the projectionist ends up dying. And as the audience, we can see that maybe something like paranormal happened. So Vince tells Ruby, and she's like, oh, wow, he probably just killed himself. Like, get rid of the body. They never call the police, which I guess makes sense because they're all old mobsters who were used to, like, you know, fixing stuff. Mm-hmm. Then one of the concession stand workers, he ends up being found dead, like hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. Vince tells Ruby and Ruby's like, oh, well, whatever. He just, he couldn't take it anymore. And Vince is like, no, something's going on. These people wouldn't have done this. I think the spirit of Nikki's doing this. <laughs> He's mad because he wants to know who set him up. We find that so this story there's so much going on because vince used to be in prison and one of like the prison psychologists i think his name is like dr keller he shows up seemingly out of the blue but vince does say like oh the letter i wrote you and we find out that this prison psychiatrist is also or psychologist 
is also a paranormal psychologist mm -hmm. and a psychic. And that's Roger Davis from the series Dark Shadows. The instant Dr. Kelly walks in that house, he's like, oh, Nikki's here. <laughs> he, he wants answers. He wants revenge. Then the movie kind of turns into The Exorcist because Leslie becomes possessed. There's even a scene by her she, dad, by her dad, Nikki. There's even a scene where she's in the bed like Reagan, like all contorted, mm -hmm. like how when she walked down the stairs and she's talking in her dad's voice. So now Ruby's convinced. Everything culminates in Ruby confronting the spirit, like not his actual spirit, but like she goes into like a ballroom and she says, I can prove to you that I didn't set you up, that it was Jackie who did it. Mm -hmm. And she proves this to him by saying, I gouged Jackie's eyes out uh -huh. and I have his eyeballs in a jar <laughs> here. Look. And then we see that she has the eyeballs in a Looking jar. Looking like those pickled eggs. Yeah. We immediately cut to her getting all dolled up. Mm -hmm. Ruby is red hot in this little outfit <laughs> she's wearing. Is she is red hot and she's prepared to go meet Nikki. They live next to a swamp. Like this drive-in theater is <laughs> next to the swamp. Yep. She walks down to the swamp and we see Nikki. She has seen his spirit already. Like she's imagining it, I guess, or actually seeing it. But in the end, she walks up to his spirit, grabs its hand and walks into the darkness, mm -hmm. the fog. And the final scene of the film, which you can talk about because I understand that that had to be reshot, is Ruby underwater being attacked by a skeleton, mm -hmm. like a spirit Halloween skeleton. Like he's claiming her, is Nikki's skeleton. And then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. This shit. <sighs> it is a chaotic bit of storytelling. Piper uh... Laurie is serving and... <laughs> she is if you could just like get her scenes it would be fun to just watch that unfortunately this dvd like the the one you own it's not remastered it looks terrible I like bet season one drag right race yeah the sound is not great yeah there are no subtitles so it was a bear to get through and i think because piper laurie is ott but everyone else is sort of playing it seriously yeah. oh and then the mute daughter is so like oh janet baldwin uh who looks to me like bud court she's unfortunate and her mute acting is yeah. like <laughs> it it's i remember i've seen this once before but not since i bought that dvd in like 07 uh thinking that it was offbeat and odd it um, is and, and it is i don't know in a good way because really nothing happens it's like 45 minutes of exposition and the movie's only an hour and 24 minutes. Yeah. It's not even 90 minutes. And so more than half of it is just, yeah. By the time, yeah. By the time we get to the actual possession stuff, uh, it, it's almost over. Should I just go through my notes? Mm -hmm. Ruby is sitting around looking like Lola Bazaard. Like <laughs> the, she, these red, <laughs> she's wearing like, or a flamingo. She's all dolled up and like with her feathers and she is, uh, just, constantly reminiscing on her time as a lounge singer mm -hmm. we get a moment where she is actually like singing in front of jackie mm -hmm. who's like not only is he blind but he seems like <laughs> he's like that old grandpa in texas chainsaw mask he's like lame and blind yeah. i mean i don't understand what's happening but uh <laughs> the way piper laurie is delivering these lines and her character is so just 
over the and and she's not concerned about the deaths of these men her employees and vince keeps saying like you know like i'm worried the projectionist who dies first gets choked with celluloid in the the movie that's playing uh, at the drive-in is the, the original The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. So the the screening is interrupted. And these patrons ain't shit. Just, but she goes, she marches her ass into that projectionist booth and she's like, whatever his name is, like, you get that film back in there or get out. Oh, she has, her, her line delivery is pretty fun. Yeah. She has lines like, Ruby always takes care of her boys. And then Vince <laughs> looks at her like, bitch, I'm trying to get your help right now and you won't help me. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Okay, the next best character is this character named Violet. And she's the drive-in prostitute. Yes. So she literally bounces from car to car, from concession stand stand to wherever. Her name's not Violet. I thought it was Lila June. Wait, is it not Violet? I I think her name was I think it's Lila June. Oh, weird. I swore I heard Violet. Anyway, she's this pretty blonde who... At first, I thought they were trying to make seem like she's like a teenage girl, but then she looks like she's probably like in her 40s, <laughs> but she's dressed like one of those sock hop girls. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, she's going from like man to man, but at first we see her with one of the concession stand concession stand workers, and she's being so rude to him. Mm-hmm. He's also being a creep, and he's like, please just meet me outside. Here, take this free cheeseburger and meet me outside. And he goes outside, brings her a Coke. Here's a Coke, girl. She's like, I like Dr. Pepper. Don't you remember anything? <laughs> and then he's like, well, here, like, I want to give you something. And so she's like, well, follow me. And then she yells at him, aren't you coming, you dirty old man? So they get out to the swamp. They wander deep into the wood swamp. Deep yeah. into the marsh or whatever you call it. And she's like, give me my shit. And he's, he's like, well... You you can't wear it. She's like, I told you I'm not gonna I'm just gonna wear it at home because she convinced this man to steal some of Ruby's jewelry. Uh-huh. Which looks like one of those pendant lockets. Yeah. That has like a picture in it. Yeah. Why do you want this lady's pendant locket that probably has someone else's picture in it? <laughs> like, but anyway, uh he gives it to her and she says, No funny business. Mm-hmm. Don't touch me. And immediately he tries to rape her. Yep. But she's able to get him off of her. And then the ghost kills him. And the way the ghost kills people is like, it kind of, it's like the air slapping them. Yeah. So the actors have to like pretend they're being punched by nothing. Yeah. Piper gets slapped, air slapped too. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other concession stand man is B- Barney, play, is played by Len Lesser, who uh, many might recognize as Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. And he ends up being killed by. He's the one they put in the soft drink machine, right? Is that his? He, I think he's the one in the soft. One drink. of them ends up in the soft drink machine, which is which is uh, kind of gross. It's kind of gross because this homely lady goes to buy like a coffee out of the machine, mm-hmm. and then she doesn't pay attention to what's coming and in, pouring into the cup. And then when she goes to take a sip, she drinks a cup full it, of blood. It's his blood. And then she just goes like, "Ew, <laughs> ew, David." Ruby, I would have been hysterical, and that, and that lady goes, "Ew." <laughs> Yeah, I would have been, the, this shit would have been, <laughs> stop Again, this movie. I have to say, when we first see Ruby Piper Laurie, like, performing in front of Jackie in this empty, like, lounge, her home seems really big, and it seems like it's attached to a nightclub, Yeah, or I don't know, it's very confusing, but yeah, Ruby really thinks she's giving us something we can use, yep. and I don't need it at all. Leslie, the mute daughter, is so 
creepy to me. She is creepy. And there's a scene like during the day. So this is after the concession stand guy is killed and hung in a tree. And we see Leslie's goofy, creepy ass just like tiptoeing through the tulips Mm -hmm. with her little flower basket. And she's like smelling flowers you don't smell. What are those ones that like it's they're like uh, like cotton and if you blow on them that you inhale all the like di- like di- gone to see daddy lines kind of like that kind of plant okay and she's sniffing on it like these aren't the kind of flowers you smell girl but she's like <laughs> she looks so stupid and then she looks and sees the man hanging and has zero reaction mm-hmm. which might make sense knowing that she's possessed by her dead dad but then vince comes upon leslie so he sees his pretend daughter staring off into like the like staring at something from a distance he sees her he walks up to her never thinking to look at what she's looking at and he's just looking at her and then it finally occurs to him to look up like 15 degrees Mm -hmm. and he sees the dead man hanging that was so poorly shot to me (laughs) It yeah, made no sense. It, it's not a well shot film. Uh, it's the only uh, movie that was shot by cinematographer William Mendenhall, who the rest of his career before and after was working in television. So I don't know if that's something to do with it. I would have loved the movie to a version of this movie be just Ruby against uh, the drive in hooker. Yeah, because the drive in hooker had a mouth on her. Uh huh. So oh. it would have been a lot of fun to see these two actors like have it out. We saw Lila June played by Kristen Sinclair. She's in that movie Caged Heat, which we did a oh. live about. And then uh, Stuart Whitman, Vince, uh, he's in another early Jonathan Demme film we watched recently, uh, Crazy Mama with Boris. Speaking of Vince, I didn't understand. He was so easily convinced and so sure after the first death that it was the spirit of Nikki. Yeah, which is so weird though, because then at the very end, uh, the doctor calls him and says, "Shit's gonna go down. Get out of there." And he's and like, "He's well, like, well, whatever. I gotta work." Yeah, I was so confused by that. Like, you're you are so convinced that the spirit of this man is haunting y'all. This, but feels, then when it comes down to it, you're like, "Oh, whatever. I don't know." This feels like they had a kernel of an idea, and it wanted to be two different films almost, mm-hmm. or or they're like. Curtis Harrington's telling one story and they're like, we got to make it an exorcist film. So he's like, well, I guess, I guess I'll tack that in right now. I wonder if it was that like, Oh, we got Piper Laurie. And so we need to give her this juicier role that kind of doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah. And then, Oh, the exorcist. Cause this is 77. Yeah. This is the year after Carrie. So I'm assuming they were trying to capitalize on like exorcist Carrie. Yeah. And then, so then they just tried to mash in all this shit. It it does not make sense. And the film she did after this was Tim with Mel Gibson. This prison psychologist slash parapsychologist slash psychic made no damn sense. Nope. Nope. Then at a point, this doctor's trying to examine Leslie and she bites his hand, (laughs) but she doesn't bite it like a rabid animal. She bites it like when the cat is playing. (laughs) That little girl so well she's not little she's 16 um then did did she ever speak and piper's like no she only cried once when she was born and then ruby tells this doctor maybe you people at the hospital can help her yeah which didn't we just told you he's not a medical doctor he is a parapsychologist at what hospital does he work in It's, it's like ruby doesn't listen because then they ask Ruby, Ruby's crazy because they ask her, the doctor, is it okay if I hypnotize Leslie? Mm -hmm. 
And she's like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. Like all flase da about it. Uh-huh. And then the minute he starts trying to hypnotize her, Ruby becomes hysterical. What in the hell are you doing? Yeah. And it's like, do you not know what hypnotized <laughs> means? Or, <laughs> Well, there's another part where it wouldn't, Leslie's possessed and she's like, you're killing her. It's like, well, the doctor's not doing that to her. So I don't. Before that hypno- hypnosis scene, uh, Ruby has the thought to like drive out to the movie, like the, the drive-in theater. Cause you know, it's like a big lot yeah. with all the speakers and she starts hearing her name and it's like, Ruby, 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 Ruby. Ruby, Ruby, like <laughs> what? And then we see uh, Nikki drive up in an old timey car, and then that's when another employee has been killed. Someone took like a post and nailed him to the drive-in movie theater screen. Mm-hmm. That shit was crazy. Yeah. Then when Ruby gets back to the house, she goes up to the attic because she thinks Nikki's up there, and then we see Leslie, her mute daughter, is up there. I guess possessed by Nikki because she's talking like him. And then they start dancing together. Uh-huh. That was weird. Very ghost with Whoopi and Demi. When Les so finally the doctor does hypnotize her. And what's her first word? And it's a struggle to get it out. She's like, birthday. Yeah. Her first word was birthday. Very Maria Bamford of you. Bitch. Oh. Ruby is so dramatic. She during this like hypnosis possession moment then ruby sees leslie looking like she's been shot in the face like nikki was yeah that same gunshot and what does ruby do pass the hell out mm-hmm. yep. Bitch, this is not your moment this is your daughter's moment and you pass out <laughs> oh leslie in the bed like the exorcist that really sealed the deal for me like this movie is trash mama i don't <laughs> in my mind's eye i was more entertained by it than i was watching it again but it, it isn't good and then the the final so apparently the producers wanted a different ending demanded a reshoot and both curtis harrington and um piper refused to be involved with that so that's why you get a, a woman who's clearly not piper laurie oh because when piper laurie's uh when ruby is red hot in her little outfit she has um she has like a round shoulder length cut with a lot of layers. So her hair is pretty short. Mm-hmm. But when we see her at that final shot in the water, her hair is down to her bra strap. So I was like, this does not make any sense. <laughs> but um, then when you told me it was a different actor. Purportedly, the, those scenes were shot by, I, I guess maybe she hasn't actually admitted it, but Stephanie Rothman, who is one of the few... Uh, women working in horror at that time because she famously made a film called The Velvet Vampire in oh. 1971. Is but that apparently, like a gay vampire? I it might have lesbian. I've only seen that once years ago. Lesbianic undertones, maybe. But um, that that to me, that's her her biggest film. I think. But I do want to talk about the scene before the final scene because you already alluded to it when Vince is told by the doctor, like, get out of there. Things are going to go down, and he's all like, whatever. And then he gets there. There's like a cyclone in the ticket booth and then the wind's blowing like a hurricane. It all felt very The Wizard of Oz to me because then we get Nikki on the big screen talking about, I'll get you, all of you. Like I thought of poetic, the opening of Poetic Justice. It, in that moment. This movie is like Poetic Justice mixed with The Exorcist, mixed with The Wizard of, Wizard of Oz on crack. Mm-hmm. Like, 
It is so odd. And I guess I see why Harrington, but it's funny. It made a ton of money, I think, because it came out the year before Halloween, but it, it had that record for a year of being the most profitable independent horror film. Uh, so I, I, I don't know why he didn't kind of continue on that wave. The final shot of Ruby being choked underwater by a spirit Halloween skeleton, and then it abruptly ends and we get the credits. And then there's a song. And I'd like to try to perform a little bit of this. Oh, you're going to perform it. Well, okay. Me, 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 me. Let's see. Ruby, no one can love you like I do. (laughs) Truly, I've always wanted only you. So much and still so little. I just can't get enough of Ruby. That's not quite how it plays in the film, but sure, you get. The oh, gist. you think you could do better? No, I no. It's like a loungy. You didn't need to call me out because no one's gonna watch this movie. Crooner. No one would have known. Somebody will watch. It's this. like on Drag Race, like when uh, old girl did the Mona Lisa. Don't nobody know what she sounds like. <laughs> you just ruined my little. Uh, I didn't ruin it. Fantasy. I did <laughs> Okay, Mariah. People might have thought that I did a good job, and now they know I did. I didn't say you didn't do a good job. It's a different. It's an this is chapter three in my book, My Life with Nick. Interpretation. It Disappointment and ridicule. It, I didn't, <laughs> let let the record show. I didn't. I was just. I'm Kathleen Turner, and serial mom. I was just standing here. Uh, you. That's your interpretation of the song. Yeah. What would you give Ruby? Two. I would give Ruby two out of five. And you know, this you, shit is not good. You almost chose the rage carry too. Well, because you were interested in seeing it, as was I, and we just reviewed Carrie, which you know my memory's so bad. I figured I might as well uh, get it while the getting's good. Uh-huh. But in light of Piper Laurie dying, she is a delight in this movie. Yeah, she is so over the top. Uh, it, Bless her heart. We also did a review of the faculty sometime in the past year as well, which she's one of the teachers. We have a live review of the faculty if you want to hear more about Piper Laurie. Yeah, so film. We, we've crossed paths with Piper this year. Uh, but, but goodbye to this lady. Yeah. She seemed like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know anything about her personally. My voice is going. I don't know what's happening. So we probably need to stop. But um, <clears throat> I don't know much about her. But she seemed like a fun mm-hmm. person based on her acting style. Yeah. So she lived a long life. She did. What do we have going this week? Uh, you get to see Killers of the Flower Moon tomorrow at the premiere. Oh, couldn't be more excited about that. Yeah, I think you'll be entertained by De Niro and DiCaprio. It's long, though. It is. It is. Um, so I'm seeing Killers of the Flower Moon. And then I don't know what else you're going to agree to see this week. But that's okay. that's the big one that is coming out. Do you have a quote for us or anything? No, no, I'm still making my way through Orlando. Uh, the AFI, Orlando. The AFI Film Festival is coming up soon. Uh, so I'll be seeing a couple things with that. And then uh, you may or may not be here. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All done? Yeah. Ta-ta. <laughs> Ha! <laughs>